So welcome to episode 15 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, uh, joined once again by Darren Hill, and we've got a lot to talk about tonight, so we're going to jump straight into it uh, tonight. We want to go over our MVP picks with our hypothetical ballots. Uh, we're going to talk coach of the year, defensive player of the year. We've got a couple of uh, hypotheticals for the fun teams that we've made up for ourselves as well. But Darren, I wanted to start out by talking about a big day in the NBA today and covering some of the games that did happen because we're now set in the West. Our playoff seedings are set. The only uh, question mark is around the four or five, whether the Jazz or the um, sorry the Jazz or the Clippers will host that series. Uh, we've had the Lakers go on a four game winning streak, probably the costliest four game winning streak in the history of the NBA. We've had Phoenix have a couple of fun victories. Uh, we've had an epic collapse by the Cavs and back-to-back losses by the Cavs, which have been real head scratches after they seemed to find their footing last week against Boston. And uh, an unbelievable comeback performance, really, by Russell Westbrook today, which we may sort of talk about in leading into our MVP discussions. But uh, I wanted you to start, what caught your eye in the games that you might have seen today or, or since we last spoke? Well, the games that caught my eye today was it wasn't just the individual games. It was the the fact that is in relative terms, right? There's not a lot of playoff drama this year, right? This little micro battle, you know, four or five out west, a little micro battle. Will Denver, Portland get in? But Portland's had that kind of the um, they sort of passed them up a while ago, and they got the flotsam and jetsam, you know, the tallest midget race you know, for five through eight in the East, is not a lot of drama, right? So with that as the context, um, not a lot of drama. What an unbelievably, almost monumental, momentous, wanted to rewind half the games, if not all of them today. I thought, what could you think of a more scintillating, gripping, fascinating set of storylines on a day, you know, sort of game number 80 for everyone with so little playoff drama? I just I don't even know where to begin, Daz. You're going to need to point me. Well, it was I crazy. Could so run through about five games that well, I just loved. I'll yeah. tell you where my yeah. mind starts. So I, I look at the I look at the Phoenix. I get up, realize Phoenix of well, actually Phoenix were well ahead against Dallas. So I'm thinking that puts them even in the standings with the Lakers. Now you're going to have a coin toss potentially to decide who gets that the more lottery balls between those I, I believe that's how it works uh in that situation because they obviously would have had the same record and they don't look at tiebreakers when they're talking about draft positioning so then the lakers play the timberwolves and that game goes down to the wire and the lakers end up pulling it out by one point uh fourth win in a row as you said they celebrated on the sideline like they won the nba title so any sort of thought that that they're not caring about these results, whether you want to talk about tanking or not from Luke Walton's point of view, um, was quite amazing. And then you've got the other side of it where you're looking at individual performances. So James Harden leads Phoenix, uh, sorry, Houston to score another 135 points. Uh, so you're thinking, well, is he now back in front in the MVP race? Then you've got Russell Westbrook, who breaks the triple-double record, but they're getting killed. They were down 12 with two minutes left. Game over. And then he leads them on the 15-2 run, including one of the most ridiculous threes I've ever seen to win a game. So then he maybe goes back in front 
in the MVP race. So you're thinking about that. And then you've got the Cavs blow a 26-point lead to Atlanta um, after after losing to Atlanta's backups only two days before. So just as crazy a day as I've, I've seen in the NBA and one of those days where, as you say, you've just got to go back and watch a few. I did see the Westbrook performance live, but a couple of the others I sort of rewound and watched. But um, I, I guess, I mean, just start quickly on the Lakers-Phoenix because Phoenix okay. with two back-to-back wins and, and the Lakers with four back-to-back wins. Well, let's start at the bottom. Um, yeah. And the bottom is almost not the bottom, is it? So, Suns, for those who may not have noticed, right, they've been full-blown tank. However, we've, as you probably talked, we've talked about before, they are in full-blown organizational alignment with let's evaluate and let's have some fucking fun while we do this. Did you know, Daz, they started the youngest NBA team in the history of the league the other day? But no. not a single play, not a single player over the age of twenty three when they started Alex Len um, and all the children, Ulyss, uh, Warren, Booker, and Marquise Chris. And I thought, gosh, if they ever flipped it and had Dragon Bender starting instead of Alex Len, you'd have um, an even younger team. So they literally started the youngest team in NBA history a couple days ago. So they go out again. Everyone knows about Booker's seventy points, and they go out and crush the Mavs today. A non-dramatic game, but just another symbol of, boy, here's a team that should be tanking, but these are kids out there balling and having a blast. The awesome part about Phoenix this week, right, is that two nights ago when Russ had his, he was still tied. Russ had 41 triple doubles, and OKC goes into Phoenix, and what happens, right? Basically, Booker and the Sun said, we're hearing the Phoenix crowd cheering on Westbrook. They're cheering him on. They're hoping for when Westbrook had up, you know, had the points and rebounds, and he's throwing passes in the fourth quarter. The crowd's getting into it, and and Devin Booker's like, "Not in my fucking house, not in my house, man." And what happens? Phoenix starts bawling. They start absolutely digging in their heels, like slapping the floor. So every time Russ passes the ball, they're swarming that guy. There's like four hands in his face. They're not going to let him get the assist. And Devin Booker goes and scores twenty one in the fourth quarter, right? And they smash OKC and refuse to let them have the triple-double record on their court. I go, that's for me. I go, if I ever hear one ever hint that tanking affects um, anyone beneath the general manager, I go, evidence number one is the Phoenix Suns. There's just not an ounce of tank when you've got kids balling like that. And even you fly, you know, a few hundred miles to the west out in L.A., as you said. Oh, man, is this beautiful or what? Well, it is. And the best, the best game so, of last week was when they lost the Spurs oh, because God, yeah. it was a chess match of who was trying <laughs> to lose more. And Pop pulled all his starters after the first quarter. So then Luke Walton says, all right, that's your move, Pop. My move is, do you know a guy by the name of Meta World Peace? Well, he's going to yeah. come out and play 17 minutes. And he played, I think, correct me, he played the entire fourth quarter. He did, and Pop said, he I'll went, I'll match your meta world piece with Joel Anthony. So, <laughs> so oh my God, I've never been more in love with, with and Pop. And the Spurs fans were cheering Lakers on. It was a Spurs home game. It was unbelievable. It was the best, the most expensive four-game winning streak I got. Have you ever seen that? 
trying the chess match of losing without losing. Oh, just the artistry in that. It was it was Pop's oh, best coaching coaching performance. I'm ever. still crying. So I, you were telling me this in real time. I had no idea what was going on. I think I was working right. And you're like, no man, Pop's trying to do this. And I look at the box score. And I'm like, holy shit, you're right. He played like all 13 players that were eligible. Like everyone, everyone got a run. <laughs> so um, yeah, the Lakers go. It, it, okay, how how do you one up that? You one up it by having two refuse teams playing in Los Angeles, right? Timberwolves at Lakers today. And what happens, right? You got this, right? It's all, it's a kitten wrestling match for the whole game. Minnesota had a bit of a comfortable lead in the fourth. Um, LA whittles it down. It wasn't a big lead. It wasn't a major comeback. And the last possession, it's just this frantic bunch of idiots throw up a terrible shot. There's like bodies flying everywhere. It gets tipped out to the three-point line. D'Angelo Russell like almost scoops it up off his heels and throws it up at the buzzer. The shot bounces off the rim, off the top of the backboard, off the rim again, and falls in at the buzzer to give them their win and effectively guaranteed them not to finish number two um, in the tankathon ratings. The sweetest 30-footer you'll ever see. <laughs> uh, and so you must, you know, in the owner's box, you get magic and the buses are going... Oh, fuck me, <laughs> dead. You just sent us back a decade. Bye-bye, Lonzo Ball, with that one shot. And, oh, it's just so poetic. It's just so poetic some days, Daz. So poor old Delangelo goes and breaks the heart of all the nerdy fans who want a draft pick and sends the 11 fans who were there who paid money to see him play. They're going mental. <laughs> they went ape shit. Well, so, here's but, an interesting quiz question for you. Who has the best record of all the non-playoff teams in the last 10 games? Oh, Christ. Well, the Lakers have won four in a row. Um, the Lakers are five and five, but it's not them. There's a team that's gone six and four. You know who's been winning is Brooklyn, though. It have is. Been... It's the Brooklyn Nets. Six and four <laughs> in their last 10. Are they really? No yeah. kidding. Yeah, they, they've been winning some games, haven't they? They so, have, um, and that led me to, I mean, I just want to segue a little bit now and talk about the teams that might be the most fascinating that have missed the playoffs because we, we do know now pretty much every team that is eliminated, bar Miami, I think the only team outside looking in that may still make it. Um, so just get your thoughts. What, what two teams would you say, maybe one from each conference, that you're most fascinated to say, okay, A, what do they do in the off-season, and B, what can they do uh, next season, and can they make a run at the playoffs? I'll totally answer that question as long as we get to come back and talk about Cleveland Atlanta. Oh, we're not going to miss Cleveland Atlanta. <laughs> okay, we've good. Got a, we've got a, sure. a loyal listener that's just on the edge of his seat waiting for us to break that one down. <laughs> oh, poor AC. Yeah. Um, so – Teams of fascination. Um, I'm going to pick one that you don't think I'm going to pick. And I'm going to pick the Sacramento Kings. Oh, and you, I thought you were, when you said that, I thought he was going to pick the Sacramento Kings. That was the last team yeah. I would have picked. Yeah. I, I'm, and the only reason I'm going to pick them is because I think they're so easy to pick on, right? And probably deservedly so. But it's maybe um, Dave Yeager is a good coach. And they're the fan base. Can you think of a more loyal, a more loyal fan base than the Sacramento Kings to go through what they've gone through? So um, I'm going to pick the Kings. So what's the um, what's their draft status at the moment? The 
looks like the picks are going to convey, right? Sacramento is about... They're number eight in Tankathon at the moment. They're number eight, and obviously, unless New Orleans, you know, they have, a, I think, literally like a 2% or 3% chance of... Yeah, they're, the they're eight three. and ten as it as it stands at the moment, which that's nice in, in this draft. Yeah, that's nice. And yes, you have two really nice lottery picks in this draft to add to a group, right? With Willie Cauley, um, Buddy Heald, you know, Sky's getting a nice run here recently. Um, Papa Giannis, actually, I saw him play some competent minutes. You know, he didn't have, you know, he didn't jump out of the gym or anything, but. You know, there's a there's the makings of a team who um, is going to get a bunch of guys in that age range between you know 19 and 23 who can grow together. And the reason I'm picking the Kings is that when I stop to think about the the Phoenix Suns were the obvious one, but they're probably a little too obvious, right? They've got these eight players under age of 23 with um, with Booker and Williams and Chris and Warren and Euless and, and Bender and, and Len and the rest of it, are literally eight guys age 23 and under. And I like what Phoenix has done, staying kind of saying, you know what? We took punt with Chandler. Uh, we thought we could do something. That didn't work. We signed Brandon Knight to all this money, and that, you know, that hasn't panned out. We've seen the young guys come up behind him. Phoenix, for me, is almost the template of what Milwaukee hasn't done. Right When Milwaukee's going and traded away, you know, Norman Powell and Patrick McCaw for the chances to get, you know, Grievous Vasquez and a little bit of cash. And I go, you know what? That's that's probably not your best bet trying to build a team around a 22-year-old superstar like Giannis. And so coming back to, to um, Sacramento, um, certainly I was a heavy, heavy critic for the discount price that they'd sold um, Bookie Cousins to. And not surprisingly, probably like 90% of people, I'm softening on that. I'm softening it. Um, on my stance saying, I think there has been some addition by subtraction, Um, certainly culturally, but even on the court, you know, Willie Cauley and and Skye's getting a nice run, young guys developing. Buddy Heald is, um, you know, he's playing, um, shooting the ball a lot, and I like the fact they're going to get two really nice lottery picks. So um, I don't expect them to be in a, you know, 35-38 win territory next year. But I think they could probably flip a Flalo and, you know, maybe flip Rudy Gay or is Rudy Gay unrestricted at the end of this year? I think he, I'd Rudy have to check on restricted. that. Rudy Gay is restricted. Is he restricted? Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, no, I think you're right. He might he, be unrestricted. He might be on, yeah, he'd be past the restricted age. They were expecting he was going to go, yeah. And then yeah. he got injured, so they couldn't trade him anyway. But I think for a fan base, number, I guess my point was for a fan base that's so loyal, They've endured the agony of Boogie, who's now gone. So it's a little bit of the – they're on this little sort of new honeymoon period. It's turning out this trade, while still looks like a deep discount, isn't nearly as horrible as we thought it was, right? Are, would you agree with that? It's not looking as horrible. Oh, no. They, look, they're four and six yeah. in their last ten, so that's not a disaster. Yeah. That's not well, a buddy, buddy in the, you know, the number ten pick, that's not – you could do worse. And I'm seeing flashes from Scal and um, and Papa Giannis to go, you know what, that weird draft they had last year, you know, kind of drafting all these big guys. You know what, maybe they're their own versions of Thon, where they got the little flashes of of capability. So, um, so I'm going out of limb. I'm saying Sacramento. I'm interested to see what Jaeger can do with them. Two more young guys, um, shed away a couple of contracts, and yeah, yeah. let's see what they can do.
Well, my Western Conference team would be Minnesota, and that's probably a much more obvious pick. But mm. just from the sheer point of view, they have lost, and I'm not sure what sort of lead they may have built up today against the Lakers, but I know they've lost 22 games this year when leading by double figures. So you would hope from their point of view that they're at least able to maybe split the difference on that and go 11-11 and 11 in those sort of games next year. And that obviously gives them a playoff berth and maybe if they can take another step. And they have shown flashes just for a little bit at a time defensively. Um, you would hope that that's going to get through. I guess my worry for them is, and we saw this a little bit with Mike D'Antoni when he went to the Lakers and the Knicks. Um, now, D'Antoni to me is the offensive coach that Tibbs is the defensive coach, if you know what I mean. Like, they're not great. Tibbs is never going to be known as an offensive genius, and same with D'Antoni. And, and D'Antoni went to two teams, teams that just did not fit his scheme. And I guess the question I'd have for Minnesota next year is, is this team capable of playing the sort of defence that Tibbs wants them to play? And I think that's going to be the key to their success. And if they're not able to play defence at that level, I don't think he's a good enough offensive coach to lift them up into into the playoffs and, and lift them to where they probably should be, given the talent that they have on that roster. Because they've had guys that have had good individual seasons. Like mm. Rubio's played a good individual season. Carl uh, Anthony Towns has sort of had a breakout year. Um, Wiggins is pretty much... I mean, he's probably a little bit better than he was last year, but he really is still a shoot-first, offense-only player. Doesn't fill up the stat sheet at all other than the, 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 the points... Table. Speaking of speaking of Carl Anthony, we flew and we threw all the love at the Lakers today for every right reason. Did you see what he did today against the Lakers? No, I only saw the, the me, winning shot. Let, I'll tell you, he went seventeen for twenty-two from the floor, hit one of two out of three pointers, scored forty points, mm. grabbed twenty-one rebs, had four assists, a block, and a steal. So he went forty twenty today. Yeah, just to give you a sense. So his, I, I digress. So, yeah. yeah, no, he, he's having Cat. an amazing season. Yeah, 40-20 doesn't happen every day. Yeah. So, and I mean, they just, I've watched a few of their games this year because I've seen some of the meltdowns, and they just seem to go to a lot of heavy ISO ball, and it's just give the ball to Wiggins, and everyone else just watches him dribble and, and jack up shots. Um, so, and they, and I mean, I'll, a classic game that I was watching with them last week against Portland, and they had Portland on the ropes. Currently, the Towns was dominating because Nurkic isn't even playing. And then they just, the last quarter, he didn't even touch the ball. It was just all Wiggins coming down, just chucking up shots. And it was it was a frustrating loss. Um, there may be Tibbs sitting back with tanking in his mind, thinking, well, I'm not that worried if we win this one. Let's see what, what Wiggins can do. I'm not sure what the thinking was there, but it, it certainly wasn't efficient basketball. And especially when you've got a point guard like Rubio there, um, you'd think they would be better. Um, down the stretch of some of those games and not, not just you know, really collapsing and particularly in the third quarter across the season they've collapsed a bit. So I guess I'm interested in two things. Can they reverse that? Because, um, I mean, their plus minus and point differential is is not that bad, certainly um, comparable to Portland who are in the playoffs. So I think there's going to be some regression to the mean there for them anyway. But, but the bigger question for me is can they start playing um, the sort of defence that we expect from Tom Thibodeau teams and what sort of player are they going to pick up in the draft as well. Um, but who would your... I mean, it, it, feel free to elaborate on any thoughts you might have on the Timberwolves, but then who would your team be from the Eastern Conference that you're most looking forward to seeing next year? Well, I think the Timberwolves have a, a floor, right? Like the nice sort of high floor, if you will, in terms of the non 
or in terms of the lottery teams, with obviously Wiggins and Towns and Rubio, you know, this team's going to win 35 games just by rolling out the ball with those three. I don't see him playing defense, staff. I actually don't. When I see Wiggins and Towns, and are they coachable? Sure. Right? But is are these guys skilled defenders? Um, but is, no. this a, is this a situation yeah. then for Tibbs that it was for D'Antoni in New York and, and L.A.? Possibly. Very possibly. Um, that's gonna, so you, I can see the fascination with such a high-profile coach and such high-profile talent compared to Sacramento. And I go, another, this will surprise nobody, but another exhibit, you know, in a game like today, a very loose Lakers-Timberwolves game, Andrew Wiggins plays 38 minutes. He collected two rebounds and had one assist. No steals, no blocks. He runs around like a super freak athlete and waits for the ball to get into his hands. He doesn't facilitate. He doesn't create. He doesn't bring the ball up the floor on the break. He doesn't um, attack the glass. He doesn't fight through um, big bodies underneath. And at some point, you just have to say, someone with his athleticism I'm sorry, it's not just scheme of him always having to, you know, run back or run you know, run away from the ball on the glass. There's something, again, going back to his his year in college, I thought he just doesn't have a, a killer physicalness to him. So I worry the combo of Wiggins and Towns. So so maybe that makes them even more fascinating, to your point. Mm. So I'm I'm worried about them with Tibbs, 100%. I, I think it could be... Uh, as you said, D'Antoni with the wrong cast. Um, or like Scott Skiles, right? When Scott Skiles had um, Andrew Bogut and um, Luke Richard and this, you know, grinded out Fear the Deer team, and then his GM goes and trades Bogut for Monte Ellis. And I go, in an in instant, he shifted a, a coach who had his exact personality, that Fear the Deer team, with Sammons, who's a tough defender. And again, when he was young, Brandon Jennings was a, you know, he was adequate. He was a very quick-handed, um, you know, not by any means a, he wasn't the glove, but he had his, his fingerprints on a team, and poof, in an instant, he had two chuckers now, Jennings and Monte, and lost his defensive anchor. And that's what led him to quitting um, unexpectedly. So I don't I don't know if that's going that's to happen with the um, with Teevils, but it, Tibbs will have, what, another year? To get some wins, oh, I think they'll probably give him two years to to be honest. But um... well, if they win thirty one again next year, right? Then okay, then there's pressure on the riding right? so on the wall. And at the moment, the to your point, I think Wiggins is sort of projecting like a rich man's Michael Beasley, unless he he really pulls his finger out and starts he does um... nothing. That he does nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the East, I. Do you want to go first with the East, or you want me well, to go I'll first? Well, go, I'll go the Sixers, um, and, and only yeah, okay. because of the fact that it's time. Like we've had enough of the losing, and the Sixers are my sort of second term. I've got a soft spot for the Sixers because of the, the Brett Brown uh, connection and obviously Ben Simmons as well. So uh, it's enough though now. Like, like they need to start winning some games next year. They need to make a playoff push. Um, enough with the where, – where, you know, minute restrictions and game restrictions. Let's let this team out there. Let's see Joel Embiid playing 30 minutes a night or thereabouts. Let's see Ben Simmons. Let's see who they draft. Hopefully they get a, they're going to 
potentially have two high draft picks. I certainly hope that's the way it, it turns out because that means the Lakers will have missed out. Uh, and <clears throat> and then we, yeah, so heaven forbid if they got the number one pick and could run Fultz out there, um, what uh, what sort of team could could we see on the court next year? But despite all the drill of draft picks they've had, there's still a lot of holes in that roster. I mean, they don't have a backcourt at all. Um, I'm still not sure if Saric is fit, despite the fact he's had a good year. Um, and he's probably inched ahead in Rookie of the Year to me. Um, but, yeah, I still think there's a lot of questions. What, what are they going to do with for next year? So th- th- there's still a lot of questions I would have around this roster. But I think it's time to put them together and say, let's let them take the training wheels off and let's see what this team can do. Because enough already with the 20-win the seasons. <laughs> yeah. It, so if they get the two two high lottery picks and Ben Simmons, man, that is going to be – it's hard for me not to vote for just the pure fascination factor. Well, and they should be and active in healthy. free agency as well. So I, I said in a few pods ago, I expect them to maybe make a run of the Paddy Mills, but I think there's a number of guys coming off – because they really just need role players now. They don't need to go out and get a superstar in free agency. They just need guys that they can plug in, particularly in that backcourt, and uh, and give them <clears> something. Well, maybe by the same yin and yang, the team that's going to fa- – I just kind of run through the entire East. The one that's going to fascinate me the most, believe it or not, I'm just tired of talking about New York and Brooklyn's got nothing going on and Orlando's depressing – in the heat or the heat, you know, the magical coach who interests me is the Pistons. So I'm like, I almost think they're the antithesis of Philadelphia and that all that Detroit seems to have had has developed as a team of, of role players. They have no discernible leader, no discernible star. Reggie Jackson, if we give him a bit of a break, he couldn't come back from his knee, gave it a go and, and failed and shut it down. Obviously Drummond is, the, you know, um, that back to the basket poor man's Dwight of 10 years ago that Stan had. Mm. And he's, he's not, he can't carry an offense by any stretch. Um, and they just got this, you know, nice role players. They had like a, a team of amazing sixth men like KCP. Yeah. Nice rotation player, but he's like my three and D guys. Not very good at shooting the ball. Yeah. Tobias Harris, he'll get you 15 points a night. You know, he'd be a nice sixth man, maybe a nice seventh man, you know, Ish Smith. Yeah good solid nba backup point guard yeah yeah marcus morris the poor man of the morrises but decent kind of stretch forward like a good backup power forward and i go but that's your roster that's their entire roster these 23 24 year old guys who each individually are they're good players but the whole is nowhere near the sum of the parts and so i'm interested to see this kind of talking about coaches and their and they're having their fingerprints and the personality of the team and their roster altogether. Stan's had a heavy hand, right, in putting this team together. So I'm going to be really interested to see if they do something radical with the with the Reggie Jackson or Andre Drummond and do some flipping to really change the personality or change the upside of the team. Well, so in the, hindsight, they would have been better off trading Drummond, getting some high draft picks, and keeping Greg Munro. Gosh. It's it's interesting to think about that, right? Um, uh, and that is, would have been heresy to say that 18 months ago, but I, I think you can make a very strong argument that's the case. Yeah, look, Drummond is so limited on the end of the floor, and he's 
and he doesn't defend right the way like you know like a Ben Wallace could defend the famous you know the famous piston the beloved piston who was a an amazing rim protector you know almost all team NBA Drummond just happens to be a wonderful giant who clears rebounds he alters shots he does block some shots but he's not the he's not a Dwight or a um, gosh, some days he's not even Nerlens Noel with his mobility, right? So, um, there. Hi, what do you do? What do you do? I, I I don't have a good answer here. Uh, that's why I'm probably so fast. I don't have a. I kind of have a clear path of what I do for most NBA teams, <laughs> but I have no clue what to, what you do with Drummond or with with Reggie, to be honest. So well, that's where the fascinating is. What what does this SVG do? No clue in the off season with that team. And and to your point, it is very much his roster. And I mean, you know, it started last season. He was very happy with the roster that he put together, um, and it just hasn't worked out. So, look, would you do something radical, right? Like, would a team like I'm just going to be radical for a moment? Going, where does Drummond fit? Well, you're selling low on Drummond. So if you're selling him now, you're selling him as low as he'll ever be, other than if he's about to, his contract's about to expire. Um, so I don't really see why they would do that now. But then again, what other choice do you have? Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, yeah. it's a difficult one. It's a really yeah, difficult I don't know. spot that I don't they know. find themselves in. I'll say one last thing about the East. I think Boston better enjoy the number one pick this year because I don't think the Nets will be that bad again next year. I think they'll be in the mid-20s, maybe even pushing 30 wins next year. That's probably a big call given their <laughs> roster. But they've, they've been a different team since Jeremy Lin came back and, and he's a competent NBA starting point guard. Um, Kenny Atkins is a good coach. They've got two draft picks, all booed in the 20s this year. Um, but I, I can see them being a... a touch more competitive and given the fact that they've got no incentive to tank they're going to play the season out as we've seen this year and I mean if they if it wasn't for the injuries that sort of crueled them at the start of this year I think they'd be pushing the Lakers and Phoenix for that sort of second and third worst record this year and who knows if they get a clean bill of health all the way through next year I could see them being much more competitive um, across the season. But that remains to be seen. But let's move now to our favourite, the, the topic I know you've been looking forward to, um, and that's talking about that other fascinating game from this morning. I wanted to touch quickly first, because I watched, I don't believe you watched the first of the Atlanta-Cleveland games, but I did watch quite a bit of that, and Cleveland... Started I that, didn't. You know, well, they started that particular game just in a, in a daze. They were sleepwalking, and they just thought, look, and they've got this, and we keep talking about it, don't we? But they've got this on-off switch. And you could just tell they were like, look, we'll take care of these guys in the fourth quarter. It won't, won't be a problem. And they were down two at half time. They were down narrowly again at three-quarter time. And Atlanta just came out in the fourth quarter and blew them away. And in the end, it wasn't even close. It was a 20-point loss. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. was just making Kyrie Irving look really silly uh, at the end of that game. So you're thinking, okay, they, and that, and by the way, if you weren't aware that Dwight Howard, Paul Millsap, Schroeder and Bazemore, none of them even took the court in that game. So it was completely and utterly the Hawks' backups. But you sort of felt like Buds stumbled onto something in that game for that for this team. And you could see a bit of belief, you could see a bit of joy coming back to them in, in the game. And you thought, OK, what are we going to see from Cleveland 
um, as a response to that. And that's probably leads us into what happened today. So talk us through what you saw um, from the game today, uh, the return matchup in Atlanta. So I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't pay attention to it until I saw the final score. And so I went back and sped watched little bits of the second and third quarters and it was Cleveland in complete command, right? They're up 15, 20 and LeBron's hitting shots and Kyrie is going crazy. It's one of those Kyrie days, right? No one could defend him. And, and so they're up right 26. And then, and then all hell broke loose in the best way possible. So Cavs are up 26, right? To start the fourth in the first 80 seconds, the Cavs committed three turnovers, missed two long, two long twos, and the um, and Atlanta hit their first five shots. So in 80 seconds, the lead was down to 16. And I'm like, okay, that got interesting. And I guess my just recapping rather than replay the entire fourth quarter, which I could totally do, um, I was keeping track. Literally, I'm going play by play. So in the fourth quarter today, Cleveland committed nine turnovers. Nine. You saw it as well, didn't you, Daz? Mm, I did. There's 24-second violation. There's offensive fouls. There's a guy stepping on the end line. There's the um, just every version of turnover, right? They committed them nine. They missed five long twos, right? They stopped taking threes. They hit 19 of them today. So they're amazing from three-point, and they stopped attacking the basket, started settling for jumpers. They missed a couple of layups. They were contested, but they were still layups that didn't go in. And the best parts for me, not once but twice, Cleveland committed fouls on three-point shooters. And they committed one in particular, LeBron James, where the Cavs are still, even though they're in this unbelievable, you're feeling this inevitable, oh my God, we've lost a 26-point lead, it's down to five. There's 10 seconds left in the game. Hawks got the ball, they inbound it. Millsap takes a three and LeBron fouls him. With ten seconds left, <laughs> and you go, okay, he didn't didn't exactly hammer the guy. Oh, it was a legitimate what, foul. It, it was, was a legitimate, legitimate foul. foul. It wasn't a kick, leg kick out. Rough, it was not a leg. It was a card and sort of why why the greatest player on the planet is even within a f- five meters of a guy shooting a three pointer. And pretty well, not even the knockdown for it. He'd all, and and Millsap had missed two or three just before that. And the Cavs yeah. broadcast team had said, "Look, we're happy for Millsap to keep shooting, so just let him shoot those threes." So I was listening to Atlanta, so I didn't I didn't hear that. I was just they were just getting excited, <laughs> um, as you would. Mm. So he goes and follows him, and then of course in the last, then they commit another turnover, and then they tie the game. So anyway, I. Cleveland blew a 26-point lead at the at the start of the fourth quarter. They blew a 14-point lead with three minutes to go. They blew a seven-point lead with a minute to go. They blew a five-point lead with 10 seconds to go with nine turnovers, a bunch of missed twos, and Atlanta hitting 12 of 14 free throws. And this wasn't referees changing either. This was just Atlanta playing with a bit of desperation, and they started a sniff that it got into single digits. They started attacking and getting fouled. They were getting hammered and they were hitting their free throws. So, and of course, I did almost the outcome was almost immaterial. Daz, the fact they blew the twenty-six point lead, and yes, the Hawks held on and won by one point in overtime. But that wasn't the story. It was as you've said two days ago. Um, 
the Cavs getting blown out to the Atlanta Hawks B team, and then this today. And I still don't know if they'll if the Cavs are still the favorites, probably to win the East. But what I know for certain, I don't know if they can turn it off from, but I am certain they are absolutely desperately trying to win most of these games that they're losing. The one two nights ago or a few days ago against Atlanta, you're right. They checked out. They didn't play. Like, okay, that you can see it. But games like today where LeBron plays another 46 minutes or whatever it was, Kyrie Irving scores 45 points. These guys are trying to win, and they're not. And if I'm a Cleveland fan, I'm genuinely – I shouldn't be stressed. And I shouldn't be worried sick about um, regular season play, but I would be. Well, the points I'd make about the game would be – there'd be a couple of things I'd say. The first is um, the, the Atlanta team that made the initial comeback was once again their bench players. The exact same and, – and the Cavs broadcast team actually picked up on this and they said this is the exact same lineup that destroyed us in the fourth quarter two nights ago because at that stage Buds had benched yes. all his starters so Millsap wasn't even playing at the start of the fourth quarter now Schroeder and Howard didn't play at all in the fourth quarter or overtime so that's significant to me from Atlanta's point of view now is that a matchup thing if they're playing the Cavs did that matchup that that particular five works and you had um, Mike Muscala was out there um, Mill- Millsap did end up coming back on you had Tim Hardaway Jr um, they had uh, Turin Calderon was playing Calderon was playing a bit they had Prince the young rookie who I really like the more I see that guy the more I like him um, he looks like a just a younger version, even in the way he plays, of Damari Carroll when he was playing really good basketball on the Hawks. So they they seem to have stumbled on a really diamond in the rough there that's that's coming along. But so that was the first thing. And I thought the Cavs look. I wasn't as worried about them blowing the twenty six point lead down the fourteen. I think that was just a bit of loose play. I've seen, and I can tell you, the Warriors have done that on multiple occasions this year where they've had big leads. And the game's got a bit closer than what they probably it should have. But what worried me from the Cavs' point of view is they couldn't steady. When when they got within seven with a minute to go, you think, okay, they've got this under control now. But they're just making mental errors left, right and centre. And, and whether it is just the weight of minutes on LeBron or whether it's the weight of the pressure of being the champions this year or having the target on their back, having the media spotlight on them, I don't know what it is, but there's just a mental uh, mental lapses consistently with this team. And the fact that I was more worried about the fact that not only did they blow a seven-point lead with a minute to go, they led by five late in the overtime and still lost. Uh, and again, it was just same thing in the overtime. They, couldn't, they, they ended the game essentially on two turnovers from inbound passes. Kevin Love just threw it. I don't even know. It was like a turnover that my team comes up with in the rec league. You just you look at it and go, what were you even thinking throwing that pass? It was it went to no one. Just straight down the other end and everyone and as you said yourself, there's finger pointing and there's shrugging your shoulders and shaking your heads and no one seemed to know what was going on. So it was uh, a very worrying performance and of course they were thinking, we're going to go in, we're going to beat Atlanta two nights ago, Atlanta's resting everyone, and then we've locked up the one seed. We can start resting a few guys. You know, I don't think anyone was expecting they were going to have to play this back-to-back. They they go to Miami tomorrow 
uh, in now what is a must-win game for them to secure the one seed. And by the way, Miami need to win to get into the playoffs. So all of a sudden, that's a massive, massive game. And that could be their round one opponent. There's all sorts of things riding on that. So they've really, after looking like they steadied and coming in and punching Boston in the mouth, now all of a sudden... There's some big questions being asked, and there's a there's a team north of the border who are eight and two in their last ten, sitting there rubbing their hands together and thinking maybe this is our year after all. The days of just saying LeBron James is on our team, let's pencil ourselves into the NBA Finals, I think will either be over next year if they're not over already, and we're about to see in these playoffs ha- have we already passed that point? And if they don't make the play- finals this year. How can you make an argument they're going to make it next year? Because I just don't see how they're going to improve with this roster. And then, of course, the questions come in. How do you improve that roster? Who do you look to move? We're um, going to find out in about three weeks, I reckon. You know, if Tristan goes back to old Tristan and does his 15 and 15 every day, it, maybe that's maybe that's the missing link is Tristan playing at peak Tristan. And someone, someone, please hit a shot, right? Um in crunch time. Yeah, you know, look, I... are Schumper, yeah. Fry, yeah. Well, it's all also about just executing and, and getting open shots. If you're turning the ball over nine times, it doesn't come down and just miss shots. That's just poor execution. Yeah, true. Um, true. And sloppy basketball. So it's it's a good segue, though, now to talk about the MVP race. Um, and LeBron, obviously, is still one of the one of the contenders. Um, I certainly had him ahead at one point or another. I've had all four guys ahead at one point or another in my own thinking. Um, but at the end of the day, and I want to sort of lean into talking about Russell Westbrook's performance a bit later, but um, I, I'm personally going to go, and this will shock you to know, Darren, that I'm going to go with Kawhi Leonard. I'm going to make the argument um, simply because... Of the four contenders, and obviously we're talking about James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, and LeBron. He's the only guy that I look at, and I think, and, and I think, and I've said this before on the pod. I think this NBA, this MVP debate has defined the season in so many ways. But it's also been a matter of how do you view basketball? What do you find valuable? What do you? How do you rate the best players in the game? What will you remember different seasons by? And what I've always respected as a Spurs fan is just winning. And I look at the four contenders and I say, all right, who's won the most games with their team? It's Kawhi, and it's not particularly close. Seven, seven games ahead of Houston, well over 10 ahead of the Cavs, uh, and almost 20 wins. Oh, sorry, that's, that's unfair, 15 wins ahead of uh, OKC. Then I look and say, okay, what's his individual record against the other contenders? What's seven and two? Um, does he mark the other contenders defensively in crunch time? Yes, he does. Do they shoot well in those games? No, they don't. I saw a stat today that showed they shot around 27% against him, although they threw Paul George into that stat. So obviously Paul George had some real struggles. So that may be a little bit higher mm. when you just take those guys. So, And he's the only guy that plays both ends of the court in crunch time. So he's the guy the Spurs are going to. And the Spurs are the best team of the four in crunch time as a team. Not quite as a player, but as a team, they are a, b- a better team in crunch time and they've won those, those close games, hence the 61 wins. And that could obviously go to 62-63. So, and I respect two-way basketball. And I just, to me, 
I look at it, and, and yes, you, re- you respect what Russell Westbrook's done. Um, Triple-double for a season, unbelievable. Uh, breaking Oscar Robertson's record, fantastic. But I can't countenance arguing for a guy of MVP if you haven't won at least 50 games. And I know that might be an arbitrary figure, but they're going to be around the 47, maybe 48 wins. To me, that's not a good enough number, and they're certainly not a contender. They're going to be bundled out, in my view, in the first round of the playoffs. And I think if you give MVP to a sixth seed that gets bundled out in the first round of the playoffs, and I understand it's a regular season award, but I think you're going to... That's that's not going to be a great look when you look back on the season. So, yeah, you average a triple-double, but they weren't a great team. They will bundled out very quickly. Um, Harden obviously has a much stronger case I think leading the league in assists and, and scoring on a you know, massive improvement for their team around 15 wins it's going to be on the season he leads the league in win shares um, he's, he's demonstrably made other players on his team better this year and Eric Gordon particularly Ryan Anderson and others um, they're, they're a contender for the title they're the third best team in the NBA uh, so but my problem, obviously, with James Harden is there's not only is he, is he a poor defender, he has no respect for the defensive end at all. A lot of players, and and um, and then he has the temerity to turn around and say, "Well, I've played 82 games," which he hasn't due to injury and other things. But I think, well, look, you've, you've at, at best you've played 41 because you take half of every game off just standing at the free throw line waiting for an inbounds pass. Uh, or maybe a loose rebound to come to you. Now, I'm probably being a little bit harsh on him, uh, but I have watched his games much more closely, I guess, since the MVP debate took off. And uh, I just I can't take my eyes off him on defence because he just does not give a crap. He really doesn't give a crap on that end of the floor. Having said that, I love watching him on the other end of the floor. And I guess the question is, has what he's done offensively been just so good that you can overlook that part. And obviously there's there's some, some flaws with Kawhi's game. Kawhi hasn't shot the ball as well from three since the All-Star break. He's now around 37%. So his offense hasn't been quite as good. He certainly doesn't impact the game offensively anywhere near the level that James Harden does. But having said that, the Spurs are still the seventh best offensive team in the NBA. And uh, they're number one or two, depending on what... Um, what statistic you use in terms of ranking their defence. So to me, I've gone with the best two-way player, but I get the arguments for everyone else, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. If you want to go Russ Westbrook, look, I saw the game today. He leads them back from 12 points down. It's a crazy game-winning shot. and You can't help but look at a game like that and a performance like that, and you think, A, I don't know if I've ever seen a player play like that before. B, Yes, I understand the argument that he's the the best player in the game. And see, when we look back on this season, is the storyline and the the narrative going to be that was the Westbrook season? Um, Personally, I don't think it will be because I don't think they're going to be... I think in the end, narratives come down to playoffs to a certain extent, even though it is a regular season award. Um, But I get the arguments for that. So that was that was a long soliloquy, Darren. I told you I was going to talk for a little bit of time on the MVP, but I'll throw it over to you now and get your thoughts, I guess, on on the contenders um, and who you would eventually um, to give your hypothetical vote to. 
So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're you're voting Kawhi, but understand the cases for the others. If I were to summarize, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. don't want to make yeah. it a negative thing. Uh, you know, I've gone some you rants could. privately, <laughs> and but yeah. I don't think you know. At the end of the day, you've got to respect what these guys have done. I mean, to lead the league in assists and points like Harden's doing uh, is a phenomenal achievement, no doubt. To average a triple double across the season is phenomenal. There's no question what they've done, and even LeBron. I mean, if they get the one seed, he's you know leading the league in minutes or thereabouts, in, in, with so many miles on his leg, on his legs, he's averaging more assists this year than he ever has. Um, the only thing I think with LeBron is they've just fallen away so badly defensively as a team, and they really look a mess, as we've said. And I think the whole Eastern Conference is just a bit of an asterisk next to it when you compare it to the West at the moment. So that sort of counts against him a bit. But maybe we are taking his greatness for granted because he still is uh, the best player in the NBA. So I still think there's a case for LeBron as well. Yeah, there is a case for LeBron until we've seen what's been happening the last month right they've been playing 500 ball for but they start like 28 and 8 and now they're pretty much 500 since since that point in time so i think lebron's is his sign sealed and delivered in the fact they played 500 ball for far too long well you can now argue can't... too he's got a better cast around him so he's got two all-stars whereas the other three don't have any other all-stars on the yeah roster. james harden has an enormous 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 impact on that Rockets team winning basketball games by an average of six points every night for 80 games. Russ Westbrook as unbelievable. And the the narrative of Durant leaving and him breathing fire for 80 games and not missing a breath and the scintillating winning, you know, uh, uh, um, buzzer beaters. And the fact he's only, believe it, can you believe he's only, only, only playing 34.8 minutes per game. Doesn't it feel like he plays 44 minutes a game? Yeah, he I thought he'd plays... be in 38. I, I was shocked when I saw, um, and I'll say how few in, in yeah. quotation marks, because obviously it's not few, but um, it, it, it did the, shock me. The other thing I'll add, right, is that, and this is an unpopular view, but it's, again, I like talking about reality, is that human beings are emotional beasts, especially the voters for things like this. And, and there is a big component of the NBA that is entertainment. And especially when writers and fans, even like us, right, we're emotionally attached to whatever we're emotionally attached to, right? Be it our favorite teams or a style of play or a personality type. And it is very, very hard to ignore that this season, which all of us thought would be so defined, almost solely and unilaterally defined, by Golden State Cleveland, you know, part three has actually been overtaken by Russ Harden and to a lesser extent, right? The singular play of, of Kawhi and his, his game being elevated to the next level. And that for me, as I go, it's, it's hard to ignore that so much attention and so much joy and so much energy and so many one basketball games have been taken up by those two. And so um, I'm, I'm going to be at the camp. I am, I'm James Harden. By I used to be full blown ten games ago, no brainer Harden. Now I'm Harden by a hair. I am because I stop and I think about what Westbrook has done in his context of losing KD and his singular wonderful physical, um, athletic greatness. Yes, I know his usage is forty one percent, 
but he's doing this at 34 minutes a night. And I, I won't lose any sleep if he wins, but I'm still hardened by razor thin. And I, I'm only just convincing myself, Daz. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. And that, that's the big case to me against the Kawhi Leonard is the narrative of the season. So, and you're 100% right. The narrative has been all about Russ and Harden with the occasional... Yeah, interspersed about LeBron, obviously, but more, more really about LeBron and the struggles of the Cavs, despite the fact that they're the one seed. So it shows you what sort of a target the media has on them. Um, but and occasionally, obviously, Kawhi's had some big games, particularly against those contenders. And I say this, I'm, it's not just because I'm a Bucks fan, but I said NBA fan. We see more highlights of Giannis than we do of Kawhi, right? Because I go, Giannis is actually going to be a similar style player to Kawhi, he's going to be a two-way player. He's never going to score 30 a game like Russ or Harden. Um, he's not. So I kind of go, that might be our conversation. If Giannis has another leap next year. And if we start to see Kawhi be more of a more of a facilitator, you know, i.e. involving others and making them better, I think that's going to be the new, perhaps interesting narrative of the two-way players, the next-gen two-ways, who are only, quote-unquote, go 24, 6, and 6, right? Versus the guys going 30, 10, and 10, but shooting, you know, 42% from the floor. So Yeah, but I um, disagree on the Kawhi facilitator thing. I, I don't think that's the way the Spurs want him. That That's not going to be the direction I think the Spurs want and, him. And then maybe he's never meant to win an MVP award, right? And they go, that's maybe where we just sort of go, are they not going to be satisfied having the whole being, you know, better than any individual? And I think, you tell me, you're the Spurs fan, is... To what extent do you think Pop and Kawhi actually care about him winning? I think I gen- Kawhi I cares about it. Okay. I, I think Kawhi cares about it, but they're never going to be sitting there going, you need to average an extra two assists a game because the narrative of the league saying mm. you need to be more of a facilitator and you're not doing six assists a no, game. Is the no, I'm not saying that the M- that counting stance is the reason for changing a system. I'm just saying that right, you've seen Kawhi develop. And he gets better at things every year, and he's only 25 years old. I'm saying, what's next? Is he still going to develop, or is this the fully formed Kawhi? And I go, there is further development for playmaking or fast break or facilitation. There is development, right? Would you agree with that, that there could be? Oh, there could be. I just don't think that's the way the Spurs are going to take his development next. I'd be surprised if that was... If they turned him into like more of a point forward, even in, in certain plays, I just don't think that's necessarily. But there could be. I mean, Tony Parker's falling off a cliff. Uh, Manu probably won't be back next year. Who knows? Paddy Mills. So maybe if you know they're going to hand the keys uh, theoretically to De John Day Murray or bring George Hill back, maybe Kawhi takes on more of a facilitator role. But I just don't necessarily think that's going to be. But I guess my argument would be I don't think that should preclude him from MVP discussions either. I mean, if the Spurs had get the one seed next year by some miracle, because it would be a miracle to beat this Warriors team the way they're constructed now. Um, and then they they were pushing the Warriors for a little bit for five minutes um, of this season. But if they got the one seed and he's the best player on the best team, I think, you, I think you've got the the absolute ironclad argument um, whether he averages five assists or, you know... Uh, Tennis and, and maybe that's a fair point. Maybe that's the, what would need to take. I go, so um, what's it going to take for a two-way player, i.e. someone who's not Steph Curry, the last 
winner the last two years and what's very likely to be a, another offensive juggernaut player this year, Harden or Westbrook. I think we can agree it's going to be those one of those two, right? So I go, what will it take, right? If LeBron is aging, what sort of season would it take for someone to unseat a quote-unquote one-way player like Steph, Harden, and, and Westbrook? And maybe that's it. Maybe it's San Antonio finishes ahead of the... I think they have to, and that's probably what needed to happen this year. They needed to snatch that one seed, um, and then you could say, well, the best player on the best team, that's the definitive argument. But I think you might be surprised. I think Kawhi might get a few more one votes than you think, because as good as, as, as great as Harden and Westbrook have been, they are polarising to fans, and there are fans out there like me that just say, I can't countenance voting a guy that's that just doesn't give a crap on the defensive end. I can't count them as voting a guy that's not one in one of the contending teams in the NBA. And then they look around and go, well, well Kawhi Leonard plays both ends. Kawhi Leonard's on a contending team. Um, and, and like Tom Haberstrow of SPN said today, he just ticks more of the boxes than what he was looking for, than what Harden or Westbrook did. So I don't think he'll win it, but I think he may surprise you in how many first-place votes he gets. Yeah, I th- so I think it's, I think that's fair. The, where I thought you might go is the other thing is if he would have maintained his freakish three point shooting like he had last year, he was what forty. He was at forty percent all star. I think the MVP talk got in his head a little bit, and and you could just see him thinking about it a little bit. And that's that's the one knock on Kawhi's game. He doesn't always just play with a that free flowing that free-flowing nature. Um, and that's where Pop needs to pull him aside occasionally and say, look, we just need you when you're open, catch and shoot, make quick decisions. And he gets in his own head at times. And that's possibly the next level of his development. I think he's more on the psychological side as, as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, I guess what I was wondering, though, just if I just changed one variable, was that, you know, Steph Curry doesn't win the MVPs if he's not shooting 45% from three-point line. If he shoots even 39%, he's not even in the conversation, Right. He's so singularly, outlierishly fantastic. Similarly, as Kawhi was, obviously, in a much lower volume. But I thought, i just thinking of system and two-way player and all these other things combined and where you finish in the standings. I'm just hypothesizing, Daz, if, if Kawhi had finished, you know, shooting 43 44% this year and therefore, you know, perhaps his points per game were a bit higher, I, I think there'd be even a stronger case. But it's... It's emotion and it's realities. He's dipped way back closer to the NBA average in, in three-point shooting, right? I know it's just one variable. I think it's that's probably the only difference between him and being you know, a, a likely number one candidate for something like that. If he can shoot 43 or 44% again next year. Everything else the same. He's probably right there. Yeah, but I think the uh, I think you can nitpick on stats on everyone. I mean, James Harden ninety third in the league in turnover to assist ratio. He's going to smash the record for turnovers in the season. So if you wanted to focus on that, you'd say, well, that that counts oh. him out. So I was saying, what's one thing you could? So you were talking right, maybe system and wins losses. And those sorts of things you can't affect those. I'm saying the individual play, oh, I agree. style of yeah. plays. I'm just saying if it's the if we were sitting here today and I'm arguing for Ka- Kawhi with you, it's probably if he's up there going another freakishly, you know, perhaps in that best in the NBA conversation. If he'd kept his shooting at the same rate he'd kept last year, that's all I'm saying. Oh, I, I agree probably with that. would be. I'd be probably right with you. It's that when you have the we're right, we're in the outliers of the outliers here, the three or four best players in the league. And I suppose this is why we do nitpick, 
you know. Oh, we are nitpicking. Um, and, yeah, and look, yeah. I, I won't lose an answer sleep over whoever whoever wins it. I've come to peace with the fact that Kawhi's probably not going to win it. Um, but, uh, and, and as I said, if it comes down to me between Harden and Westbrook, I'm going to go with Harden because, like I said at the start, I respect winning and I think you've got to look at who is the better team. They're not they're not a one or two win better team. Better team, they are about eight wins better at the moment, and they're a true contender for the title. So, um, to me, it's, it's James Harden, and I just think he's affected what Houston have done more positively than what Russell Westbrook has. But that's not to take anything away from what Westbrook's done this season. But we might move on there, Darren. There are a couple of awards we we probably will be in agreement over. Um, the first one is, I mean, do you have any no, quick? We agreed on Harden then. <laughs> That's good. We agree on Harden if we're it good. comes yeah. down to Harden-Westbrook. Yes, I agree yeah, on okay. Harden. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, but, uh, well, I would say Rookie of the Year, just quickly, do you have any strong opinions there? I sort of lean towards Darius Arich. It's a pretty underwhelming um, crew this year, as it's been for a couple of years, to be honest. Um, but do you have any sort of strong opinions there, one way or the other? The only strong opinion I have is Joel Embiid shouldn't win it. 30 games, just not enough. I I would almost abstain from voting, right? Because I've I've watched a bunch of Saric and I go, oh, he looks like Michael Carter Williams rookie of the year. He looks really wooden to me, Daz. He doesn't move. He looks like a he looks like if Ersan Ilyasova did never did stretching. He just looks. I like how he shoots the ball, right? And he's a nice player, but yikes. Oh, it's the best um, of a bad bunch. It's it's not. Yeah, a, so it's empty stats from Saric the last thirty games. And look, well, I maybe like you go with Brogdon because Brogdon's well, been like on the contending he, team. Yeah, well, he's gone and well, contending is a sense of well, stretch, playoff isn't contending, it? playoff, playoff contending. team. Yeah, look, he has contributed to winning, and he has changed that team singularly. His his bypassing Delhi on the depth chart in January, January February, and then assuming kind of the starting role. You know, after the All Star break, and then they had the the Coach of the Year and, and Player of the sorry Coach of the Month and Player of the Month and Giannis and Jason Kidd in in March to kind of thrust him up there. He was instrumental. He single handedly won that game in Boston. I go, that's neat to watch a rookie do that, but man, you know he's been hurt the last five or six games, and this maybe that's more to his credit. They've looked terrible. <laughs> They've looked terrible without him, but. You know, well, I think he's, playing a, he's a, a nice player, but playing as a backup point guard, the Delhi is going to make anyone look good. Let's be honest. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So, so well, let's, let's. I would literally, I would literally flip a coin and go. You know what, Brogdon or Sarich? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't, I, I don't love either of them. Um. So, what about Coach? So who would you? Who was your vote for? Oh, you vote for Sarich? You've actually conv- you've you've talked me around. I'll actually go for Brogdon because at least he's on the team that's playing for the playoffs. And I think you're you're right. When when Embiid went down, Saris just put up a lot of empty stats. So I can't sort of complain about people you know, taking too many stats into account in the NBA and then use that as the crux of my rookie of the year <laughs> argument. So we'll, we'll go with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, All right. And the Bucks. So, what about Coach of the Year? Like, there's only one coach I would ever vote for for Coach of the Year. So, let's not even worry about my opinions on this. What's What's your view on Coach of the Year? Yeah, I sort of. I'm almost like this with a little bit with LeBron. Where how do you how do you not vote for Pop and what he's done with you know Tony Parker on a half a leg and a hundred year old Manu and 
100 year old Paul Gasol, he pulls 61 wins out of a brutally tough Western Conference, right? To, it's He is a victim of his own success, right? Having set up this culture and the system that's just so unbelievably well run, he's a victim of his own success. Um, similarly, I guess you could say the same, same thing about Kerr, but Kerr, Kerr just gets under my skin. I don't know. He's just a bit, he's got a little bit of Phil Jackson in him, Daz. Yeah, he's more like Phil cut. Jackson than Pop. He's more Phil yeah, Jackson than Pop. He is. I don't like the cut of his jib sometimes. <laughs> it's a little bit a little bit too cool for school, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know why that makes us it. I suppose the other thing, right, with Curry, you roll out the ball and you get the four, four of the best 15 players in the league, you know? Well, Good that's luck. it. I think he's on the high yeah. end of nothing. I mean, he would have had to nearly win so 75 Pop is, games. Pop is in leaps and bounds at a Curry. Yeah. So is this sort of the – are we just doing the non-Pop award? Is that kind of the question? Well, we could, you it? could say, look, who's the be- who's been the best coach apart from Pop if you just assume Pop? I mean, I'll just say this about Pop. I mean, when you consider that Aldridge didn't, has had a great year, um, offensively, as we said ourselves, like Kawhi, as great as he's been on both ends of the floor, hasn't shot the ball as well um, as he has in the past, particularly from three. Um, Danny Green's had a nice season, but there, there's very few players that have had what you'd call breakout years or career years or anything like that. And they're winning 61 games and, and we're pushing the Warriors for the one seed only two weeks ago. Um, it's just been a phenomenal job. So here's my, here's my cop-out vote, right? So I think, so Pop, yeah, I actually know you're, I'm actually talking myself into voting for Pop considering what they've done. Um, all right, here's my top three. Then I'll decide after I'm done talking. Pop, Spo and Scotty Brooks. And I'm going to say a caveat on Spolstra. I, there's something to it. You know what? If they if they make the playoffs, I'm voting Spolstra. If they don't, I'm not. I got two more games to go, right? I go, do what he's done with that pile of garbage. <laughs> you know, <laughs> M. Dot, M dot whomever still, still blows us away, right? They've kind of cooled off a bit. I think you and I both thought they'd finish in the in the playoff race, but they're they're on the verge of not doing it. So if they're in, I'm going to go Spolstra. If they're not, I'm going I'm going Popovich. And so I think my my third place now that I talk about it is Scotty Brooks, where I had such little expectation for him in Washington, and they've um, they've cooled off a bit here lately, but they've had a nice season. You know, um, they've gelled. Has he been a bit lucky because they've been almost perfectly healthy? They've been the healthiest team in the league. Yes, he has, but I, again, come from Neptune. You watch NBA basketball for the first time. That's a beautiful starting five, and they play well. Hmm. And it's it just looks like really nice basketball when they're on their game. So I'm going to give him my third-place vote. So there's my there's my cop-out. If the Heat make it, I'm voting for Spolster. If they don't, I'm voting for Pop. No, well, Spo's not there for me. You can't only be 50, 50, 50% and win Coach of the Year, no matter how terrible your roster is. Um, my my other two would actually be that. My other two would actually be Mike D'Antoni, who I'm surprised you didn't mention, but uh, the job he's done at that Houston team has been absolutely phenomenal. I think, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, just from the point of view that was a that was a terrible team last year, terrible team to watch. He went out and he and good job by Del Moore as well to build a team around him that's going to be able to play that style. And, you know, I, I've missed 
Mike D'Antoni, the offensive coordinator, because that's what I call him, offensive coordinator Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> but what he's able to do on the offensive end is just unbelievable. The fact that it doesn't matter what team they're playing against, you're going to play his style. And they are I mean, pretty much impossible to stop in terms of getting high scores on the offensive end. They're not going to win every single night, but you know they've won mid-50 games. Uh, they're probably on track to what, win 55 games, which is a really good achievement for that team considering where they came from. So I think you've got to give him big credit. Um, I, I love the Scotty Brooks story. I've always been a Scotty Brooks fan. I think he was unfairly maligned in OKC during the time that he was there. And I've spoke about that in the past. But a guy I want to give a sh- that always sort of goes under the radar, I think needs a bit, a bit of a shout is Dwayne Casey. Um, they're in the third spot now, Toronto. They lost Kyle Lowry for a long period of time. That's their best player or unless you want to make a DeRozan argument, but certainly between him and Larry. And they didn't really fall off much at all in the end. Like They had a little bit of a dip after he first went out, and then they steadied, and they've sort of flown under the radar. They're now only one and a half games back from the one seed in the East, and you'd, you'd certainly make an argument if, if Larry doesn't go down. They're the one seed, and, and we're sitting here saying, why, why not Dwayne Casey for Coach of the Year? So he's another mm. guy that I think... People probably mm. remember the terrible sweep they had against the Wizards a couple of years ago, and maybe he still is recovering from that because that, that was a dumpster fire of a series for them. But he's a guy that, that never sort of gets talked about among the best coaches in the league, and I, and I think that needs to change because the job... I mean, there's no doubt who um, executive of the year is. That's Messiah. Is it Messiah Ajiri? Ajiri, Ajiri, yeah. yeah. He, he yeah. to me... And I always get his, his second name wrong, but to me, he's the best executive in the league. And then the moves for Tucker and, and Ibaka may very well still pay off big time for them. But they'd probably be the two. I'd, I'd put Dwayne Casey just ahead of Scott Brooks. I think Washington have fallen away just recently. And I'd have Dan Tony second behind Pop. So you're voting Pop as well. Yeah, yeah I can't believe no, I'm arguing fair. for Dan Tony ahead of you. I did not see Boy, that coming. Harden and Dan Tony. Yeah, no, Dan Tony's on my list. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just am still stuck on – I have watched so many Heat games there in that February-March time period, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So I just – so perhaps that's my um, – Yeah, but the 11 and 30 and start, just, that's got to come into it as well. Like he was yeah. coaching him when they were 11 and 30. Yeah, you gotta I know. you got to remember that. I know. I sort of think this is just who D'Antoni is. So part of me sort of maybe against a symptom of his own past success. I go, yeah, this is it, just – this is what he does – isn't it good to have yeah. Tony back with a team, it's a Tony it, team? It's, it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Like it's a great point um, of difference in the you league. You know how much I love Steve Nash and that team from years ago. So it is It is nice. But that's a good call-out to Dwayne Casey. I'll give you some – I was thinking, oh, they're such a stable team. But you're right. Lowry was hurt. They added Ibaka and Tucker you know, at the All-Star break and integrated them quite nicely. Mm. Um, that's probably a, that's a probably fair – a fair tip of the hat, anyway. Now, what about another quick one? With the Defensive Player of the Year, um, to me, this is a runaway winner. I think Draymond Green is clearly the Defensive Player of the Year. I know people, a lot of people are making the Rudy Gobert argument. Um, I think Kawhi, as great as he is defensively, he has been a little bit um, nullified on that end statistically this year. They've, they've been able to... Um, because he's only been, they've only, I read a stat the other day, they've only had 43 ISOs all year on Kawhi Leonard, so teams are just avoiding him like the plague. And despite the fact that the Spurs are still one or two uh, as a defensive team in the NBA, um, 
his individual stats don't quite stack up to where they have in, in years past in terms of Defensive Player of the Year. Um, so that's why I'd go Draymond Green to me. Draymond. Just, Draymond's yeah, unbelievable. Sorry. Unbelievable on, on the defensive end. And, and I've said it before, um, he just does not make mistakes on the defensive end. He, he, he loses that defence, and I think they're the third best defence in the league by most metrics you'll see. Um, and, and they're you know, not really built to be a great defensive team, but he leads them so well. Same. I 100% agree with everything you said. My favourite thing about um, Draymond is his anticipation. It's crazy. I, every time I watch a game, he sort of they'll have that three or four or five moments a game where you go, how did he see that coming? How did he know to sag and do that? How did he know to deflect it at that point? His help defense is brilliant. His on-ball defense is brilliant. His switching is brilliant. His hands are active. He stays out of foul trouble. He's a defensive rebounder. He can box out, like literally tell me one thing he can't do on the defensive end. And he's, he makes watching defense fun. He's, it's not close. I love a block shot, right? I love the sexiness of a go-bear block shot and the, the nicknames, the stifle tower and the French region. He's got the, he's got the nicknames. Yeah. But um, he doesn't do what Draymond does. So I, I sort of Draymond number one in a tie for second because Kawhi, but the, by how great Rudy is inside, Kawhi's equally great on the perimeter. You know, is he's the he's the glove. He's like the big glove of the modern era. So it's Draymond way out in front in a tie for second. Could you imagine those three on the same team? Like, would would you ever score? Well, that's why that's one an All Star game of the All NBA. All NBA first defensive team with the I don't know, the all five MVP getters and want them to play. There's my idea to jazz up the All Star game, but the best defenders against the best scorers. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's a, yeah. yeah. No, so, I don't think they're. I don't think they're going to be teammates, mate. Uh, they're not going anywhere. They could have. I mean, had drafts going differently. I guess they all. They were, none of them were real high draft picks. So, no, um, you're right. They could have right. certainly all ended up on the same roster. But uh, let, let's change pace a bit now. We've got a. We wanted to not worry about all NBA teams and all that sort of stuff. Um, we're going to have a, a couple of novelty teams that we've uh, we've put together ourselves. I'll let you go first, Darren. So you've come up with the girl, novelty. the girl interrupted team. So talk us through. The theory, and, and I have to have a confession here. I've never seen Girl Interrupted. Well, Girl Interrupted, of course. Is the, I know uh, the movie, but I never the, saw the, it. Yeah, the gripping uh, drama that takes place <laughs> in a psychiatric facility. And so for me, the Girl Interrupted is the just watch enough basketball and sometimes just go, man, that guy is miserable. <laughs> and so the Girl Interrupted is my, my team of players who should be in a psych facility because their teams or their performances, their coaches, drive them fucking crazy. So this is my the first ever girl interrupted All Stars. So the first we'll start with the coach, right? Absolutely, this is Coach Hornacek, right? How insane would you have to be to be owned by James Dolan, president, and you know have your boss be Phil Jackson, who takes your own players without your knowledge? teaches them techniques of the triangle with that are not in your system and then lets the players go and publicly say, hey, yeah, Phil took us out, taught us some cool shit about the triangle. And and they have a reporter go, hey, Jeff, did you hear that uh, 
you know, toenail, not toenail, Courtney Lee said, yeah, they learned some cool stuff the other day about t- learning the triangle. And Jeff's like, excuse me, what? <laughs> Asphincter ex- ex- says what? Asphincter says what? <laughs> so if if Jeff Hornacek doesn't want to bite a revolver, I'd, I'd be shocked. So poor old Coach Hornacek is our coach. Um, team captain is, of course, Anthony Davis. Um Oh, AD, he puts on a good face and he probably shouldn't be in the psychiatric ward because he's, you know, he's, he's making a hundred and some bazillion dollars, right? He can, you know, feed small nations and every generation of Davis of, you know, uni-browed human that's going to come after him. But to have that, that dumpster fire of a team with Dell bleeping dumps, and then you get Omer Ashik staple tea and they let Ryan Anderson go. He's having a scintillating season. Did they also have Eric Gordon last year as well? Am I crazy? Am I remembering that right? They did have Eric Gordon. That's yeah. what I thought. And I watched him thrive in Houston. And then in comes in comes Boogie, you know? In comes Boogie and his 28 and 13, the emptiest 28 and 13 you'll have every night. And you got all this talk now of Justin Holiday wants to, sorry, Drew Holiday wants to go play with his brother somewhere. Is unrestricted. Now they've given up their first round draft pick and lost their only shooter in Buddy Heald. I go, oh, AD. Yeah, I'd, I'd check myself into the facility if I was poor old Anthony Davis. Well, he has got Jordan Crawford now, so he's got that going for him. He's got JC, different kind of JC, but you're right. Jordan Crawford's a JC. So AD is my captain. Um, This one's on the list probably just because he had the most depressing day. In the NBA this year is Jose Calderon, where he finally gets set afloat, right? He gets released. He's signed by Golden State, and within 24 hours, he gets fucking shit-canned, right? And he's off. I think he's playing for Atlanta now, isn't he? So he part is. of part of history today with that, that comeback. But can you imagine? Like, fuck, yes, I'm on the Warriors, baby. Yeah, no, you're not. Well, it was only because of the Duran injury, too. It's the Durant injury, that's right. So they went and got, um, was it Maddie Barnes, right? Mm, Yeah, they got Maddie Maddie Barnes instead. So, look, again, he should be in the psych ward just for having the worst day. And then his agent said, yeah, don't worry, mate. They're paying you $630,000 for that day. So he's only in there for a day. But, man, he would have had to have been on suicide watch that day. Um. Three, three others to round out my starting five, right? This is a very guard-heavy team. Hmm. Um, the third guy on the team is is Brandon Knight. The old Brandon Knight, right, who's watched the whole entire NBA narrator on Tankathon say, what idiot team traded Brandon Knight for the Lakers' number three pick, right? But that's the reality we face with Phoenix. Who could have had this Lakers um, protected or unprotected next year pick. And instead they got Mopey, Dopey, Sad, you know, seventy million dollar Brandon Knight being surpassed by, you know, certainly ran circles around by Booker, um, and even Glassney's Eric Bledsoe looked pretty phenomenal this year. And then, of course, little Tyler Eulis takes all the, you know, the garbage time thirty games at the end of the year, and he can't even sniff the floor. And it's and he has to sit next to thirty three year old Tyson Chandler. We know why Tyson's on the bench. He's thirty three. He's made a bazillion dollars, and he's kind of done everything in the NBA. Brandon Knight's on this contract. He's 25. 
And so he's stapled at the end of the bench next to the expensive veteran, kind of going, wow, far has my life gone? How far have I fallen? So Brandon is my... Um, so just a quick segue, who did they trade that pick to? Well, the the picks to to Philly, right? It's Philly's yeah, but pick. Philly. But hang on, so Philly, never, Philly never had Brandon Knight. So what? How did that happen? No, it was a it was a three way trade, right? So remember, Brandon Knight went to Phoenix. The number three pick, the Lakers pick, went to Philly, and Michael Carter Williams came to oh, fucking Milwaukee. So you're saying instead of having that Lakers pick, you guys had Michael Carter Williams? The, the, the deal the Bucks rejected was straight up. Forget even Philly. Straight up deal was the Lakers unprotected. Sorry, this Lakers pick for Brandon Knight. Straight up deal. Yeah. And the Bucks turned it down. They said, no, we like Michael Carter Williams and Miles Plumley better. Thank you very much. So don't get me started. I should, I'm on the girl interrupted team. Oh, oh sorry. Um, oh, I knew, I knew the details of that trade. I just wanted to take you down memory lane. Thank you, jerk store. <laughs> yeah. Um, so AD Calderon's my point guard. Um, BK is my combo guard. My combo, my combo two three. Mike Dunleavy. Seriously, have you seen the look on his face? <laughs> and he goes, "You traded me." Like, can you imagine being rejected by LeBron? There was no, "We wish you well." You know, he's been great for our franchise, and there was nothing in the Players' Tribune. Hell, there wasn't even anything in the Toledo Journal Sentinel about Mike Dunleavy getting dumped from Cleveland. But I go, okay, it's one thing to get traded, but he got traded for someone older than him. Like, fuck you. You traded me for an older white guy? Like, I'm white. <laughs> I'm the white shooter off the bench. You trade me for fucking Corver? Fuck you. And so Dunleavy's been in the psych ward until today, right? Until today when Atlanta goes and does does what they did to the Cavs today. Well, he had so, 20 points against the Cavs in the other game. played... Uh, he played not very today, well two nights but, ago. Um, at least him and Calderon. If it is Warriors, Cavs, they can they can sit together and watch the watch the finals together now that they're teammates. So that's that's one good thing for. So them. Dunleavy was in um, solitary confinement, you know, for twenty three <laughs> days, and he just got let out today. So he's been checked out. And the final, more unsung, under the radar, last member of the girl interrupted twenty seventeen All Stars is campaign. Cameron Payne, right? You're like, how much fucking fun? Cameron C. Payne, right? (laughs) Cam Payne. How much fun you're having in OKC partying with Russ and partying on the floor and off the floor. And you don't tell me Oladipo throws some sick parties, right? Vic Oladipo, man, he throws crazy stuff in his his house. And Cam Payne goes and gets plunked. And where does he go? to the one team with the nine shooting guards and nine point guards who can't shoot. So campaign has to go and sit on the bench. It's like between Rondo, Michael Carter Williams, and injured and fucking grumpy, probably has body odor, D Wade, who's sweating his tits off in those right ten thousand dollar suits that he wears and not getting any playing time whatsoever. And oh by the way, gotta take gotta take um, you know, guidance. From the coach who's gotten those, you know, the coach who gets the spit, like the dry spit in the corners of his mouth. That's Hoiberg. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm on this depressing train wreck. You know, I'm stuck. I'm actually behind Michael Carter Williams on the depth chart. 
and I got a Hoiberg shot me instruction, and I get you know he's getting he's getting SMS every day by deeps, you know, going oh sick number forty two tripped up baby, we're having a fucking his house party, Carl Carl Cook is coming to play the DJ house tonight, baby. Campaign's like f you. Or, you know, his emoji set is like, you know, the Doom emoji set. Just like skulls and, you know, brimstone. So um, that's my that's my 2017 Girl Interrupted All-Stars. Well, and as we said, the, the fan base for the Girl Interrupted All-Stars would have to be the Sacramento Kings fan base as well. Because I think <laughs> they all need to be checked in to a psych ward. Look, my, uh, my team's not nearly anywhere near as entertaining as that. But I'm, I'm interested in your take on some of the players that I come up with because I based my team on the movies. Well, it was the Usual Suspects team, and obviously the big twist um, in the Usual Suspects. Uh, if you remember seeing that back in the day, and hopefully you saw it without it being sport, like I wasn't was not able to do. Uh, and I sort of thought, well, what what players have come out this year? And you thought you sit back now and say, I did not see that coming. That was a twist on season. We just did not see that sort of a performance coming either from a known quantity or from a completely unknown guy. And the, um, the, the coach of the team, for me, no, was... I love this. I love this team. So you, just so you've not shared any of these names with me. So this is, yeah, this is unrehearsed. So, I, I'm, I'm dying to hear it. The team that, that you didn't see coming. So the coach, Scotty Brooks, we've already spoken about. Um, ah. I, I sort of was... I was a bit bullish about the Scotty Brooks hiring, but I didn't see this sort of a performance coming. Um, the team, you know, pushing the one seed for quite a bit of the season. Uh, now, you know, looked like they're going to be locked in as a top four, certainly going to be locked in as a top four seed in the East. And he's brought them together. They were they were a mess last season under Randy Whitman. And uh, he's, <laughs> he's, really, he's really done a, a great job. So I certainly didn't see um, the Scott Brooks coach um coach coaching season coming um from that point of view the point guard you like a point guard certainly the guy i didn't see coming a second round draft pick from the milwaukee bucks and potentially rookie of the year malcolm brogdon oh nice i don't think anyone saw that coming um you know maybe if you had honestly if you had said they're going to have a really good point guard season from someone i would have fallen off my chair knowing that they'd signed delhi um so, but to see that, and and just the way he plays, he's a, he's a really good two way player. Um, shoots the ball really well, uh, and I think he he sort of. I'm sure I'd be interested to in know internally what Milwaukee were thinking when they drafted him and what they saw his ceiling as. Um, I'm not sure how much more improvement he's got in his game and whether he's going to be anything more than a, a really good solid backup or maybe a decent starter. But um, there's no doubt that uh, what he's done this season, a second-round draft pick, has been a, a breath of fresh air for everyone in Milwaukee. Um, the the shooting guard uh, would be Dion Waiters. Um, when <laughs> when my and, and you know if Miami missed the playoffs, they missed the playoffs because Dion Waiters got injured. Now that that just blows my mind um, that a guy that was just uh, an absolute uh, uh, just a absolute head case on the Cavs, and then you know had a couple of moments with OKC, but didn't really make an impact there. Um, goes to Miami and it just goes to show I guess if you've got that irrational confidence Bill Simmons talks about um, and you get put in the right situation um, you can 
uh, you can make an impact. And I saw the highlights. That they were talking about the games of the season. Um, and someone said that the game of the season for them was that Miami-Golden State game when Dion Waiters went off for 33 points and hit the game-winning three with a couple of seconds left. And so he's burned the performance. That, and Miami overall, no one I think saw coming, but certainly the Dion Waiters renaissance, no one saw coming. Perfect um, selection. I didn't see him... Because he, the thing, not just about his shooting, I'm just going to add on to it, it's a brilliant choice, is no one, no one could have predicted Deion Waiters hitting the gym and doing sit-ups in the offseason the way he's done. The dude got fit. I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, didn't I? He got fit. The guy can run. He's lost a bunch of weight, so mm. good on him. Great choice. The, the small forward is a guy that came up in one of our quizzes um, as the, the best effective field goal percentage outside of a centre. And I'm not sure if that's held up since we had that conversation, but that's uh, the small forward Otto on the Porter. Washington Wizards. Otto Porter. Yeah. Um, I think people thought, you know, maybe he can get there. You know, I don't think anyone saw this sort of performance coming, and he looks like he's going to have a long, successful career in the NBA. Um, he's going to get max money for his contract extension this year, at the end of this year. And I think that the Wizards see him as a real central piece um, for what they're trying to build because he's a prototypical small forward that you want um, in today's NBA. He can guard multiple positions. He's not a terrible defender. He's not a great defender, but I think there's going to be some improvement in that area of the game. But the fact that he can shoot so well um, and, and knock down the open threes, etc., um, and even you know, score off the off the dribble on occasion as well, and create his own shot when he needs to. Um, and there's a lot more development in his game, so he's been a real pleasant surprise, um, I think, for all NBA fans. Uh, yeah, great call. Me. He's he's made a nice leap this year for sure. Yeah. I think you'll see his scoring average spike next year. I think he will. Yeah, I agree, and I think uh, power forward. I went with an old uh, Spurs D-League alumni, Michael Green, on the Memphis Grizzlies because um, he actually played quite well at the end of last season when they had all the injuries. But I, don't, I think people sort of thought, oh, maybe that's a bit of a flash in the pan. But he's been just a regular, solid contributor. Nothing too sexy about his game. But, um, you know, they're going to be a seven seed. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised they pushed the Spurs in that first round series. And we'll talk about uh, Western Conference playoffs uh, later in this week, but uh, he's been the guy that's really come out, and I, and I don't even think the Spurs really saw that he would be a starting level, uh, starting calibre player um, in the NBA. Uh, and then uh, the guy, sort of, I am going to have a six man, and I could have put him in at a power forward, but it was a bit of a cheat, was Nurkic uh, on Portland, because I don't think anyone saw his, his end of season run there in Portland after he got traded there. I think most people, we spoke about the trade and we sort of thought Mason Plumley was the guy that watched. You know, how, how having such a good passing front court, how's that going to work in Denver? So Nurkic is my sixth man, um, without a doubt. But the, the centre and the captain of the team to me is Nikola Jokic because I don't know what your thoughts were mm. on Jokic heading into the season. But... Uh, to be sitting there talking about, it. I mean, I don't know where you'd rank him in the, in the best young players in the league, but he could, he'd probably be top five potentially. I mean, he, what he's done this season has just been absolutely phenomenal on a night to night basis, and there's you can just see the 
the the um, level of improvement that's still there in his game. And I, I thought there'd be some improvement in him um, in this season. I remember having my fantasy draft. I sort of looked at him in one of those mid-rounds, but I did not see the breakout season um, that he's having right now. He's just a wonderful player. He's just fun to watch, isn't he? I mean, he's he's like the modern he's our modern Vlade. Yeah, even probably better than Vlade. So. Oh well, no doubt the potential's there for him to be better than Vlade. And I mean, at the moment, yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, if I said to you, you could have Jokic or Embiid at the moment, who do you take? To well, me, it's a no-brainer. A no-brainer you know, Jokic. A no-brainer Jokic, but mm. that's only because of the injuries, right? And I'm. I'm terrified of of Embiid and his what's going to happen to his feet and knees and stuff. But yeah, I thought you were going to say Jokic or Carl Anthony Towns. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not, not quite, putting that. I'm not putting him in that that level. But it, I think he's in, he's a more complete player in ways, though, right? You see it. And I'm, maybe it's a bit of system, right? This is where a system does play a role. And Carl Anthony feels like he's just playing at Kentucky again. So I don't know what the hell Tibbs is doing. I love. I love what Jokic has done this well, year. Well, I think Jokic is the future of the NBA, that type of player. And and that's where teams, I think, are going to be searching for those types of players in the drafts going forward. Um, because he wasn't a... Where did they draft Jokic? Do you remember? He's second rounder, man. He's way... Yeah, yeah. I, was, I know it was late. <laughs> second rounder. I know this for a fact because I get, um, when I get out of my, in my Milwaukee Bucks chat rooms <laughs> on rants about just missed opportunities, I'm not saying... You know, anyone had the crystal ball, but this is the, he went in the second round the year the Bucks had two really high second rounders, and they picked Joe, um, Johnny O'Brien, the third, mm. and Damian Inglis. Yeah, and right? they both had great careers. They both are already, you know, they're just <laughs> unwatchable humans. So I go, yeah, I know exactly where he was drafted, about 40th or 41st in that second round in 2014. Mm. So absolute, absolute gem, and that's, again, the reason why I – Sorry, I'm going to whinge about the Bucks, and I'm not going to sling a second-round pick. <sighs> well, there you go. So there's the, that's the usual suspects team. As I said, not quite as entertaining. That's a great the, team. Uh, but a good team. A team you'd like to have. To, let's watch some of them guys going forward. Um, so it was Brogdon, Waiters, Otto Porter, Jokic, and who did I miss? J. Michael Green. Oh, J. Michael, yeah. yeah. So if, they, if we had five-on-five five against the... The psychopath, um, Dunleavy, Calderon, AD, Campaign, and Brandon Knight. Yeah, I think you're just gonna. Yeah, you're throwing the AD in there though. That's a bit. That's a bit unfair. Yeah, that'd be all right. Yeah, Horner check. You know, run the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> AD would love the triangle. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, look, um, it was good to talk to you again tonight. We might leave it there. We get, we are gonna. I don't know if we'll try and do one later this week or maybe even Monday next week. The playoffs do start on Sunday Australian time. So we may have a couple of games already in the books in the playoffs when we speak next Monday if we wait until then or we might even try and schedule a time on uh, Thursday, I guess would be the only time. But anyway, we can talk about that off air, um, see if we can get another pot up before the playoffs start. But even say we may um, start our preview of a couple of games in the books. But I'm certainly looking forward to um, the playoffs getting started. I mean, what, quick Quick hot take. What, are Miami going to get yeah. in the Eastern playoffs or are they going to miss out? I'm still, I think the Bulls are going to win their final two games and they hold the tiebreaker. So I'm going, I'm going to go Bulls. I think they, they're they going to win these last two against Brooklyn and 
Orlando. Well, Brooklyn did beat them the other day, see, and, and Dwayne oh. Wade's back now, so he's him and his BA on the bench <laughs> might uh, might might bring them down a peg or two. I'd have to go look at the at the schedules, but I think I'll stick with the Bulls. Yep. As a, right. I don't want. Yep. We'll see how it plays out. All right, Darren. Good to talk to you again, mate. We'll talk later on in the week. Thanks, pal. Thanks, mate. Bye.